صفا Talents. Hello, dear listeners. This is Katya from Safa Talents. In March, I visited Israel to find out more about the diversity of the Israeli society and its people. I'm very happy and grateful to introduce this podcast series as a result of my various talks with great people. I picked up Michal on the road leading to the village of Chizr Asaka. She guided me through a jammed one-way underpass, the only access to the Arab village of 16,000 inhabitants. Michal started chatting immediately, telling me about the deprived situation of the villagers and especially about the women here. Her involvement started with an employment qualification project for the women, but after it transferred into something very personal. Michal is attached to the women here and she became the voice of this deprived village in Israel. Michal, a mother of four living in a beautiful Jewish town just 10 minutes from Jizr, acknowledges her privileged status in the Israeli society. After a successful career in TV and media, she did a master's degree in social work and immediately started working. We got to know each other in the Mediterranean program for social entrepreneurs of Ashoka. Already then, I was impressed by her being a true expert in building bridges through people. At the same time, Michal wants to achieve a lasting change. She now works as an impact manager for an educational entrepreneurship incubator. But whenever she finds funding, she initiates new projects with the women in Sarka. Michal really believes in the power of human presence. She openly talks about the ambiguities of her own identity as a Jewish Israeli and how the conflicts superimpose diversity and coexistence in Israel. Michal brings the challenges, fractures, but also the potentials of the Israeli society and culture closer to us. She helped me to understand more deeply. Let her take you. So we are sitting now in the youth center in Jisr Azarka, the Blue Bridge, you can say. Jisr Azarka is an Arab village in Israel, located just by Caesarea, which is one of the highest level social economy villages or places in Israel, while Jisr Azarka is in the lowest. It's a very poor village with 16,000 people living here. And the differences are huge and later we will take a tour and you will see in your eyes the differences just next to each other. What are the differences? Also, we can say that just like three minutes walking from here, there is the beach. And actually, this is the last fisherman's village in Israel. Yeah, like the last one that stayed. And it's a very unique place. It could have been a touristic uh, treasure, but it's not yet there. We're working hard to help there. Help it to become one, but not yet. And I think it's the only Arab village at the beach. It's the so. only Arab village at the beach, and it's one of the problems why this village is so excluded by all levels uh, in the Israel society. If mm. I can mention some of the exclusions. So first, yeah. it's an Arab village in a Jewish country. And the second thing is that in the... Um, 
War of 48, the independent war, as we call it, as uh, Israeli Jews, it was the only village that wasn't evacuated by the beach. Yeah. There was few more villages, all was evacuated. This is the only one who didn't. So that's why other Arabs in Israel consider them as uh, cooperating with the Israeli authorities, the Jewish authorities. So they become like excluded by the Arabs in Israel as well. So this is the second level of exclusion that we're talking about. And then in the place itself, we can see it's a very traditional village, which means that the hierarchy between men and women is enormous. And the women's situation here is really difficult. There is great poverty here, huge numbers of unemployment, especially by men. If you are looking from the glasses of exclusion you can find it in so many levels here so here here we are you can say that there is hardly working place in the village so most of the people that are working it's out of the village and it's also known as the main origin for women working in cleaning and housekeeping and it means that in five o'clock in the morning in the main uh, circle of the town that we just went through you see buses the hand, well, not hundreds, but a lot of women are going on. They are taking them to to Haifa or Haifa, to... Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan, oh, wow. uh, like cities that are like more than an hour driving from here. They are cleaning their hospitals, elderly houses. They get a very small amount of money, not by the rules. They are mm. taking advantage by men and they are the like constructors of these jobs and then around five o'clock they are coming back to the village to their uh, house obligations to the kids so yeah i would like to start talking about the present situation before we go into the details how do you feel what's important for you right now I will talk about here in Gisir and the situation and my, with the women that have been four years now and I find out the more years that I'm here, that the change that I want to do and see, it will take a long time until we'll see it. Right now, I'm very busy in how I help these uh, women to become independent economically. I feel that it's a real struggle. Last week, we had a very good uh, visit here of the Minister of uh, Social Equivalent here in Israel. And we had like a very intimate meeting just here around this table that we're sitting here nice. with uh, the women in the group that I'm working with. And we've realized that this situation of helping the women to become independent and having their own business, it's not something that we can dream about here in Gisser and the situation of the women. Also the because they, of the social and traditional... Traditional side. social structure. And I have to say that it became th something that, uh, you know, their personal belief. They don't have a belief in themselves that they can success. Mm. But what was promising in this conversation was we start talking about maybe kind of governmental platform that will be the employer. And then the women mm. won't have to be independent and we will be able to meet each woman on the place where she's here now and her capabilities, her powers and what she can do and meet her there and from there taking her to the next step and not like trying to make her something that she won't be able. So I'm a lot bothered about this, how we create this platform or if it won't be this platform, how I do can make 
this, how can I say, it's like bridging in a way, bridging between the women here and their abilities and the world outside yeah. and the options and opportunities there. So even though this is not your main job, this project is really constantly on your mind right now. It's, it's like one of your focus. In my heart. In even, your heart. In <laughs> yes, I came here like four years ago and it was a job. I was managing a project of uh, economical promotion here in the village, promoted by the U.S. Embassy. And after two years, when the project ended, I realized that there is no chance that I'm leaving these 90 women I was working with in vocational trainings and mostly employment qualifications. And I established with my partner then, Genevieve Begg. And she's originally French woman that was living in the village next by and working with the women here. So we established this hub for women for getting qualifications and also like emotional place for them for empowerment. So ever since I'm there, and although now I don't have this physical place that we've established, and we called it the Zaka Gallery, but it's closed now due to Corona issues and more. We still have this group that is meeting and working and whenever I'm managing to find funds from like educational uh, institutions or other funds that are willing to help women's situations here, then we're making courses that gives them more qualifications, especially in crafts. And mm. then they produce stuff that they can sell. And so I'm, you're emotionally attached. I'm emotionally attached. You know, I'm, I was just talking about this this morning. I think what is my biggest motivation, I live like 10 minutes from here. And the differences that a woman in my age that was somehow born here 10 minutes away and her options in life and my options and her freedom and my freedom is something that my mind can't bear, these gaps. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like uh, you said before, you, you, we mentioned like this uh, bridge thing. So it's not that I'm building the bridge, but we are together creating a bridge that maybe someday will help them to go easily from my place to their place And to have this freedom and feeling that I have, that I can do almost whatever I want. Mm. And this 10 minutes thing, it sits in yeah, my mind, yeah. like, how can it be such a huge difference? But I mean, even communication, because there is no real communication going on between the villages, is there? I mean, feeling like one community. Well, we're living in Israel, so there are like Arab villages or cities and there is like Jews cities. And there are some that is uh, combined like uh, Jaffa or Haifa or Nazareth where you see coexistence, but usually you don't really see them. I have to say me as a Jew, an Israeli Jew, um, by the way, it's always strange for me to talk about myself as an Israeli Jew when I'm talking with someone that is not from Israel because this is not my first identity. What is your first identity? I'm, I'm a human being. <laughs> yeah, because in the preparation for our interview, I was wondering what would be your first... Yeah, I think I'm a human being. Yeah, and I really yeah. believe that all human beings are... It's legitimate and it's ought to be that we will have yeah. the same options in life because we're all human beings. This is communal between us and... But I think because if you are Israeli, there are so many different groups here that you always have to somehow 
I don't know, narrow down from which group you are in yes. the Israeli society. Yes, but like consider myself as a Jew. Well, I'm a Jew, you know, I was yeah. born like this. My parents, my grandparents, even, you know, like Jew in Israel and having the Holocaust in my mind. So I, I'm not, okay, how do I say, I'm not turning my back to this identity. It's part of me, but I'm not working with this identity. And when we are now talking about the differences and I'm saying like, well, I'm Jew and there are Arabs. So I'm saying, so what? Like there are Muslims, even it's not only Arab. Yeah, with like uh, Christian Arabs, it will be totally different relations. And the differences are even less because in a way they are more Western thinking. And and I mean, for example, I would never say I'm an Austrian Christian. Yeah, who cares about your religion? <laughs> yeah. It's even rude yeah. to ask about a religion. Yeah. This is a Jewish Nobody country. Just before we start recording, we were talking about the situation in Ukraine now, and we talked about how, well, not that easy, but easier for Ukrainian refugees, which are Jews, to come here. So I can even understand and believe, really believe, that we need as a Jews a place. We know what yeah. happened when we didn't have a country. Yeah. So I don't want to ignore it, but still I feel that it makes... Well, uh, this hierarchy, it, something that it creates classes. It creates classes. I feel so not comfortable with it. You talked about communications. We started from this that I know yeah. Arab mostly because like customer services, you know, I meet them in the restaurants, they, they clean my house, they do all these kind of services. I come to eat hummus at their place. It's not working the opposite. It also makes that the relations are very limited. You, you can see initiatives here and there. They are motivated from coexisting perceptions. So there are like schools for Arabs and Jews together. But these are always dedicated initiatives and it's not yes. happening. This is not the immediate thing. Yeah. Safa Tanens. I would like to come back to you because we met in Athens mm -hmm. with the Ashoka program. And even back then, you know, we were not thinking about podcasts and all these topics. But the first thing that came to my mind, the way how you act, I mean, back then you were program director of Ashoka. Yes. Yeah. And so you had a role, but still you were part of the group. And I always thought about you you were something like um, the bridge builder in this group because our group was very diverse as well uh, mm -hmm. from Mediterranean, from Europe and from Arab countries and Israel. And you were one of the few ones who was with all different people engaged and in communication. I'm wondering, where did that start with you? Do you think that was your family or your education or is it you? It's interesting because I find myself thinking about it in the last few days. It's, <laughs> you know, this timing of having this interview, it's uh, interesting, you know. <sighs> I have to say that first about this work, well, life that I'm having here with, with women and especially with Arab society, or I think it comes from acknowledging my privileged status in society. And from very young age, I think I acquired in this that I'm privileged, you know, I'm... Do you remember when did you realize that? Or is that something everybody knows in kindergarten in Israel or... I'm not sure. I think I remember myself as a kid sitting in the library that was in front of my house and reading about autism mm -hmm. and disabled kids. It makes me understand that there are people that are different than me. And maybe it comes also from kind of like childhood experience when I was in very small age, like when I was in school, I was under, how do you say that, like not bullied, but 
like the kids are not talking with you, how do you call it? Ah, uh, yeah, you are ignored? Or? Yeah, ignored, but there is a harder... Mm-hmm. Because I feel that it's kind of my, uh, you know, motivation, so I'm not... I do not yeah, care yeah. to talk about it. I think bullying is when there is uh, violence. Yeah, well, it wasn't. But, um, it was, but they made you silent. They ignored me. Mm-hmm. I was out of society in a way. Okay, you were excluded. I was excluded. So I think it's my first time to feel what does it mean to be excluded. And once it's finished, I became a specialist in not being excluded. <laughs> so maybe there it started this thing in like building bridges. And also I think it made me very sensitive to excluded people in mm-hmm. all aspects of life. It can be like handicapped or women, like later on I made my BA in like gender. So, you know, to see excluded uh, populations wherever I'm... Because you also can relate to them, how they feel and and what their problems are. I do not believe in, you call it reincarnation, that like your soul. So I don't really believe in it, but I also feel like I have this in this time life, but I feel that maybe I had something stronger in years before that I'm not aware of, because it's really something very strong. In, so in it's actually something you came here. It <laughs> might be. Yeah, why not? So I once read a theory that once you're having a very traumatic experience and you manage to go out of it, you become an expert in this thing. So if I was excluded, so my abilities of rehabilitation is being a specialist. What is the opposite? Excluded and included. In inclusion. Yeah, in inclusion. In inclusion. Yeah, yeah. In bridging. Yeah, in bridging. In a way. <laughs> So I'm an expert in breeding and know it from my heart. I mean, you made a shift because as I was reading in your profile, you were first in uh, your job was in communication. So you were TV channel manager. Yes. I started as a journalist just one month after I uh, got out of the army, like Israeli army, you know, duty and we're all served. So I'm an officer in the army. I was... And then, uh, yeah, I started working as a journalist and uh, then I moved to the TV uh, industry and I worked as a TV manager, as you said. But all the time I had these um, social issues, which I did voluntarily. And that was on the side? Or... On the side. Yeah. And the main thing was, like the main experience was, while I was still working on the TV industry, that just in front of my house was a boarding school for boys that went, took out of their home by a court order. Mm-hmm. Youth at risk, they, it's called. And again, you know, like I said, this 10 minutes distance. So this one, I was living in my house with my husband and my four kids in a very nice neighborhood in Pardeshana city. And just across the street, really, it's like the, this, uh, the, it's the wide of the table that we're sitting there. There was a boarding school for kids that took out from their homes I wouldn't be able to go there back like maybe only once in like two weeks or something for a weekend. And I remember me walking there on Saturday with my kids and realizing that there is like 200 kids sitting here and they have no home to go back to. And it drove me crazy. So I went there and I asked how can I be involved or do something. And then we became a foster family for a kid from there. It's called like hosting family because it's not officially fostering. And then we met, uh, I will say his first name, it's a very common name in Israel, so there is thousands like him. His name is uh, Yossi, and he was about the age of my eldest son, and we met him when he was 11. And then for five years, we were his uh, hosting family, which means mm-hmm. that he comes once a week to spend an afternoon with us, and every second weekend he came, and, you know, all the celebrations and holidays, and all our family knew him. And, like, for five years, we've been together, 
And while we were doing this, I kept seeing all the time things that didn't work correctly with the relationship with this boarding school. Things like, at first I remember because he, before his first visit, I asked, what does he like to eat? And what does he like to play? I wanted to prepare the house for him that he will feel comfortable. They knew nothing about him. And then they told me that the social workers are changing all the time. So the working hours is not enough to get to know really the kids there. And another thing that bothered me is that, okay, we are hosting Yossi, but there's 199 other kids that almost most of them didn't have hosting families. So I said, maybe I can be kind of a bridger between you and the community. We're living in a very communal uh, place. I know many people, maybe you can do. I said, no, you can't do it because you're an outsider. We won't let you to do something with activity that is for. And then it starts coming to my mind that maybe I need to come and be part of the system and not be an outsider. So after five years with Yossi, our relations, can I say our relation ended? I don't know. But like he decided that he doesn't feel comfortable enough to have this relationship. I think it's something about realizing the differences. And also we didn't have any support being his hosting family, like emotional support. So we did what we thought it's good, but... In one day it ended and then I made one of my major decisions in life and I decided to leave my work in the TV industry and I went to learn social working. You are listening to the Safa Talents podcast, interviewing Michal Sadeh, a Jewish-Israeli social entrepreneur. So you did an education before you started or you just jumped right into, <laughs> I think you just jumped right into. <laughs> When I start thinking about it, I had this um, vision from the past, me saying about myself that at the age of 40, I'm going to learn social working. But it was something like that. I think I said it like in my 20s and I kept it in a box and it didn't come back to me until this point that I had to decide what I'm going to do. It was just shortly after I had birth to my fourth kid and it was time of like, okay, where do I going from here? I really liked my work in the TV, but I felt like that it's meaningless in the aspects where I want to be meaningful for life. And then I decided that I'm going to learn social working. You remember me sitting in the library reading psychology books and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it all came It took some time. I think I went into a process of like one year that like learning and um, thinking what would be the path. But the decision itself that this is what I'm going to do, it was like one week before the registration was ended. So it was like I called them. I said, I want registration. And then they said, but tomorrow it's the last time for having an English test. And I said, okay, I'm coming. And I went to do this <laughs> English test, which was the like must exam. And then I started the procedure. So... Four months later, I found myself doing an MA in social working, in expertise, in uh, leadership and social change. It was a special uh, expertise in Haifa University. That's why I decided that I'm going to learn there. It's interesting because you had this conscious decision, which was later when you were already experienced. I guess you had special expectations about where the meaning will be in the future with your new work. So if you summarize it now, in the capacity that you can work with NGOs and the social work, is it really possible to find that meaning? I'm also referring a little bit to the impact issue. Mm -hmm. 
I think there is something in me that really motivated by the first hand relationship. It's something that attracts me a lot. Like for me coming here to Jisazaka and know like almost 90 women that I worked with by their name. I know their, well, not all the 90, but let's say around 50. I know their names, their kids, their history, their relationship with the family. And every time I'm motivated to go and do something, I have them in mind. I have the specific women in my mind. What I realized after these two years that I was working here, that the impact that I can do is not enough Mm. (laughs) for me. Because I felt that doing, I'm not sure that this is what you asked, but it connected me to this, that like when I did this transformation, I thought that I'm going to change the world. Yeah, actually that's what, I, what my yes. question was referring to. Yes. Yeah. And then what I felt that is happening, that I'm becoming very much attached to the personal stories here. And I'm not in a position that I can do a major change. And it was a hard decision for me that uh, my job won't be here. I felt that something in, how can I say, in uh, energy or capabilities that I have, I can't bring him here. Like, it doesn't fit, you know. Uh, I can't do the change that I want to do here or from the position that I'm located here. So I made in my mind something like that I will always have Jisra in my mind and in my heart and wherever I will go. And no matter which job I will have, uh, Jisra will always be there and... For me, I feel kind of an ambassador of Jisar Zaka because everyone that knows me knows Jisar. And whenever, whenever I can, I bring people here and I'm trying to send a voice, the voice of Jisar outside. So I think it's not impactful. But whenever I feel like I'm saying, did I make any change at all? Like I told you that uh, we opened the gallery here, like a hub for the women two years ago once this official program ended. And it was such a huge step to do because it was in the middle of the village and you could see women walking freely in the morning hours and entering and doing something for themselves in the middle of the village, not ashamed, not trying to hide themselves. And people came to buy their things and we had all kinds of art community events. And then the Corona time came and all kind of other things and just few months ago, this gallery closed and the owner of the place, which is local, made it again a coffee place, which coffee place in Gisser is excluded for women. Women are not allowed mm. to sit in coffee places. So it became a men's place. And whenever I go through this way, which is the main street of the village, I'm thinking like people wouldn't even know that we had this thing. So what has been left from all yeah. this effort and millions of dollars that was invested. But I'm sure you made a huge difference to the women that you met and in their hearts and that they had this space and they had this education and they are more connected now. But it's not something when somebody asks you, what's the delivery? What's the result of it? Then it's difficult. Yes. Yeah. And yes. Of course, professionally, you have to ask yourself about the results. Yes, it's true. So, yeah, as I told you, my motivation is a specific women that I'm connected yeah. with. So yeah. every time I have these thoughts about you're wasting your time, you're wasting energy, no change will become. And then I think about like Manal and Nadia and my son that you met. You met them a few weeks ago. And I do believe that for them... But I don't know if there is a chance, but something opened. Something is a bit wider. Yeah. They were of more options, even if they can deliver it now. 
They met more people than they would meet if we wouldn't be together. Uh, more people knows them. Their products, the things that they are like. There is one Austrian woman that I know that is now uh, having a bag that was... Uh, a beautiful one. A beautiful <laughs> bag that, that was handmade here in Tisa by a specific woman that you even know because her name is tagged on. So these changes are made. It's not changing the world. It's not changing Gisela Razalka. It doesn't even change their everyday life. But even maybe genetically, something yeah. is now there and their daughters see them. Uh, I think also that sometimes these goals about really changing and bringing results and so, this is also, to say it very bluntly, it's also a capitalist view, like you have to deliver on results. And what we know from business, we now transfer to the social work. Yeah, it's and true. And I think it's, it's different. Uh, yes, but like no impact fund will invest here, right? No, Because yeah, I can't show yeah. them the numbers. Of course. But you also said that this is a special project for you and yes. this is more about emotional attachment and actually your main job is somewhere else. Yes. Well, I'm a social worker in the end. It's not the project, it's people. Yes, I, th yeah. I do believe. I was learning for a few years, it's called the focusing. And the main, like the basic sentences there said that human presence is the basic for everything. Wherever you go, whatever you do, first there are two humans that are meeting and be present at the time and be acknowledged that there is another person with you. And once you acknowledge this, then you can go and do all other things. So I do really believe in it. And I feel that maybe sometimes it borders me because I will always look for this human basic meetings. If you really want to know one from the deep, so there is a capacity that you can hold. Yeah, and it's limited. Yes, yeah, limited. Yeah. This would have been really nice, you know, final words. But I still have a question. It's okay. Let's go for it. <laughs> you were talking about before, and I would like to go there once more. You already opened it up about the Israeli society, because what really amazes me is finding out about the diversity of the Israeli society. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it's dominant Jew, okay, but there are different religions, there are different ethnicities here. Many people in Europe, I think, are not aware of that. Mm. There are different places of origin. So where do people actually come from? Yes. So there are the Ashkenazi, yes. which Moroccan, is the European, European. Eastern European, yes. the Sephardim. 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 Sephardim, yeah, yeah. or Mizrahim even. The dark Mizrahim from, from Africa? Uh, or from Africa, from Arab. Yeah, origin, Arab countries originated, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's also very rich, of course. I mean, you could say it's like a basket full of different fruits. There is a, a phrase for this. It's called kibbutz galuyot. I will try to find the English phrase for this. Something that we're even proud of it. Yeah, because I don't see that this uniqueness is something that uh, people outside of Israel are aware of. It's a huge variety. And you know, sometimes people are like hearing that I'm working with the Arab women and they're saying, don't you have enough Jews that you can help before you're going there? Because the changes and the differences are huge, even between the societies. So, so as you said, there was like Ashkenaz and Mizrahi, which used to be at the beginning of the establishment of Israel. It, that was the main differences. Mm. And that was the um, basic for a lot of conflicts. Ah, that's conflicts. right. 
conflict yes. side. Uh-huh. Yes, we are always from the <laughs> from the eyes of the conflict. Yeah, there are so many conflicts. We could look at it differently, you know. We can look at it of a junction of meeting of a lot of personalities. And, yeah. But uh, in Israel, it's mainly through the conflict. So there is the conflict between Faradim and Ashkenazim, and there is the conflict between uh, Orthodox Jews and how do you say non-religion? How do you call uh, it? Yeah. Uh, secular. Secular Jews. And there is the conflict between, of course, Arabs and Jews. And even in the Arabs, like there are Palestinian Arabs and there is the one that are not Palestinian, but the Israeli Arabs. So many conflicts here. They are here. The Bedouins. So, yeah. so many. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Ethiopia now, we didn't talk about uh, all, the, all the Jews that came from... So they are from, from Russia and then like Ethiopians. And uh, even now we have the refugees that are coming from like Africa yeah. that are walking here in Israel. So many communities, so many differences. It would be nice to think that it's very rich, and but I think that mainly it's, it's a conflict most of the time. You find it as a conflict. But how would you describe, let's say we are in Germany or in Sweden right now, yes. and somebody asks you, I don't really know anything about Israel. How would you describe Israel? I think I would say it's like many countries in one place. <laughs> many countries, many nationalities, many histories many origins that sometimes goes well together and sometimes or most of the time just not. We are all living in a very small place, so there is a lot of conflicts about place, about land, about resources, about resources. Mm. In my positive eyes, I would call it variety and richness. But as I said, it creates a lot of conflicts, a lot of political conflicts. You are listening to the Safa Talents podcast, interviewing Michal Sadeh, a Jewish-Israeli social entrepreneur. We didn't talk about serving in the army. We had this Shomer Chomot, the last war that we had. Last year? Last year. In Gaza? In Gaza, it was all over. It was here as well. We found it and it yeah. made huge violence in the cities themselves. Me, myself, I was driving in Pardes Khana. It's an Israeli Jewish city, small city, and there were extreme Orthodox people that was demonstrating against Arab and they just start throwing stones on cars and on my car as well. It was something like people went crazy here and it was very hard time for us here walking with the women in Gisa because we found ourselves suddenly in two different places. And they was attacked as well by, I want to say, extreme Jewish Israelis, but I'm not sure that they were there extremes. There was a lot of them that feeling the same. They were attacking and acting violently against our people here in Israel and attacked them. So they were frightened. On the other side, we were bombed. So, ah, and then they called me and they told me that it's better that I won't come into the village for this time. Mm-hmm. And I took it so hard. It was like, what do you mean? It's like my home. And But they were worried for me that I won't be safe. Yeah. Uh, because there were here also demonstrations against the Israeli regime. But once it became a bit quieter, we made a women's circle here. And we gathered here together and we just shared our feelings and thoughts. And it was one of the most powerful experiences that I had. I had this friend of mine, Celia, you met her. She's also an Arab woman, Muslim, Arab, Orthodox. During the last war, she was my, uh, called her like a guarding angel because uh, we talked every day. 
and we shared information about what is happening at her side and what is happening in my side. Wow, that's so important. I mean, just imagine now the war between Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Just imagine they would talk to each other privately. Yeah. You see, it comes again to the personal meeting yeah, and the course. human... So Celia was like really my guardian angel during this time. She was praying with me for my son that was a soldier and fighting. Mm. And when it's, it's so difficult it's because you can't take sides. Every side is right and wrong at the same time. That's true. So for me, I think I'm trying to see everything and to see everyone. And But isn't it sometimes completely overwhelming? I had this conversation with my son because we are facing now also a difficult times here because they became like terror attacks from even Israeli Arabs here yeah. in Israel, not in the borders in the last few weeks. And there were a lot of murders and people that were killed here. And I was talking with my son and he said, listen, it's very difficult for me now to feel all this like we're coming from like left wing house. I'm working with Arabs. We have a lot of friends like this and... He said, it, I feel it very hard. And then I told him, listen, try not to talk about them. It's not a them and us. Think about all the people that you know by name. Look at their eyes. Think about Raisa. Think about Syria. Think about Manal. You know them by person. They are part of this them. Mm -hmm. So I think that for me, uh, that's what keeps me and helps me to live with this conflict. Because otherwise, if I would look at it like this, like Orthodox and Arabs and Jews and the Mizrahim and Ashkenazim, really, it's like living in a whole conflict. It's something that I wouldn't deal with. So for me, it comes again to this human personality. I would, like, it's not sharing only with you. It's also with the people who are here. But sometimes I feel it's even controversial to my people here. Like, when I first heard about this terror attack that was in Hadera, it's like 10 minutes from my house. And I was just staying in the city 10 in the same afternoon. So it could be me there. But the first thing that I had in my mind is, what is this person have lived in his life that it was worth for him to lose it? How much suffering he should go through? Mm. How much no belief and no future he saw for his life that he was willing to give up for this. How much his family is going to suffer now from what he was doing. So I really took it into like a personal story of one man doing something. I didn't take it to the nationality aspects that I could... You know, it, it depends yeah. on the... The more that we talk, I understand that this is uh, my team. Yeah, yeah. Personalize it. That's your approach. That's your yes. success story, actually. Mm, maybe. <laughs> I would like to finish with looking into the future. So mm -hmm. is, there, is there any wish that you have for the future or anything for yourself that you still want to achieve? I will start with the concrete. It's easier. And then I'll see what is deep inside. So the concrete is that something from this meeting that I do with the ministry it will start kind of a process that we will find a solution that will work not only for the women in Giselle. Like there is so many women and not only women that can't afford themselves to be independent or they can't have like full-time job and get paid by companies or something, but they do have some strength, they do have some abilities and I want to meet them there to enable them to do whatever they can and from there that they will start climbing. So this platform that we were talking about, like occupational platform that will allow it, this is something that I would really to happen and I can see the change. This is something that can bring change. And we need a government here for doing this. In a very personal, well, it's, it's the other side of it. Yeah, I want to feel that I made a change that you can talk about. <laughs> that there was something before and then I came and did something and now it looks different. 
although I'm very much focused on the personal aspect, but I do want it to be a change that... Something visible. Something visible and something with coexistence, something that will stay here even when I won't work here anymore. Yeah. I think this is my biggest wish for the women here. They will have these abilities and capabilities without me being the initiator and the one who pushes them and give that it will be something from their inside And they carry it on to the next generations yes, and they yes. keep it. Self-motivation. Uh, it's about it. And I want all my family to be healthy. And I want my son to finish his service in the army and to come back safe home. Yes, and to be able to keep my free life. To feel and understand this freedom that I privilegedly have. And by knowing this feeling from inside to enable it to other people that maybe doesn't have it yet. The good news is that Michal's son is safe back home from the army. The chances that the future government will support the women's project are unfortunately low, but we keep our fingers crossed. You will find some more information about today's guest, all podcasts and many more articles on our website, safatalents.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you a happy day.